birth of a baby is a defining moment in a woman's life. But what about the birth of a mother? That's right, when a baby is born, so too is a mother. This transition from woman to mother has a name. It's called matrescence. This developmental stage is as powerful and irreversible as adolescence, and yet few women have ever heard of it. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Each episode, we will bring you honest and thought-provoking conversations, evidence-based research and knowledgeable guests in order to help you emerge a more powerful and aligned version of yourself. So join us, your hosts, Kelly and Bree, as we attempt to make sense of our matrescence journey and to help you make sense of yours. In this week's episode, we chat to Keely. Keely is a New Zealand-born, Australian-raised expat currently living in the US. As you will soon hear, Keely is a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. She is a military wife, a mother of two, a yoga instructor, health coach, and is currently working towards both her Master of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counselling, as well as her certification as an end-of-life doula. Today she shares with us her two births, one quick, ecstatic, very sudden birth in a birth centre and one intentional, instinctual hospital birth which came after the death of her baby girl June at 23 weeks. As Keely is a personal friend of mine, I had the privilege of sharing in both the joy and heartbreak that came with June's pregnancy. Keely navigated this path with so much intention and grace that it absolutely blew me away. I immediately knew that when she was ready, we needed to have her on the podcast to share her story. And today she does exactly that. Keely offers beautiful insight into the experiences of bereaved parents, the decisions they face, the support they need, and how death shapes your matrescence journey. Subsequently, she talks about how death can be the catalyst for immense personal growth, as well as her aspirations to support families through this powerful rite of passage. Australia is one of the safest places in the world to have a baby. Despite this, every year nearly 2,000 families experience stillbirth. And this statistic does not even take into consideration the many, many families who experience miscarriages or the death of an older child. Simply put, death is a part of birth, a part of life. If we want to better support families through these experiences, we need to start talking about them, even when it is uncomfortable, even when we fumble and say the wrong things. So today we're going to do that. Before we begin, we want to honour all the families who have or will go on to experience the loss of a child. It is devastating each and every time. There is no right or wrong way to grieve and there is no timeline on grief. As Keely shares her story, please try not to compare your own healing to hers. While we feel passionate about tackling these topics, we recognise that some people may not be ready for this conversation just yet, and that is okay. We trust that you will check in with yourself throughout the episode and will stop listening if it no longer feels good for you. If this episode brings up anything for you, please know that there is support available. We have included links to some support services in the episode description. But if you can sit with the discomfort that sometimes comes up when talking about this topic... I think that you will find that this is not a story that is focused on loss and tragedy. It is a story of love and growth and expansion, and it is absolutely invaluable getting to hear Keely's insights. Go gently with yourself and enjoy. Opportunity to just start at the very beginning of you know, did you know you wanted wanted to be a mom? And also I think that it's interesting for people to hear a little bit about the fact that you are overseas because 
we talk so much about our village and you know leaning on them but you've you've moved away from some of your members a long time ago and kind of created a new village around you there so if you're happy to I think that that's a cool place to start yeah for sure um so a little bit about me I I grew up in Australia I was born in New Zealand um and I'm actually I you know this I'm no stranger to loss and and grief and death because the reason why my mum and I moved to um, Australia was because her partner, who I considered my father figure, um, passed away and she wanted to kind of move on and and that was part of her grief process. So um, I think I've seen a lot of that growing up and her handling it and that's kind of led into this season of, you know, motherhood and my journey. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Australia and then when I was 18, I um, moved to the U.S. so I could go to school and continue diving. Um, and I met my husband here and we got married and I just stayed. I wasn't planning on staying. I definitely wanted to move back, but, uh, it's just the way life goes sometimes. Um, and so yeah, I'm a, in there now. Oh, almost a decade, almost 10 years. Wow. So it's crazy. Yeah. So you met your partner and did you talk about kids early on? Did you always know that you wanted to be a mom? What did that conversation look like? Uh, yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Um, kids have always been something that I wanted in my future. My husband was a little more hesitant. I don't think he ever really saw himself getting married or having kids. So um, that was a little bit different for him. But yeah, I always wanted to be a mom. Um and when we started trying with Reston, it took us almost a year to get pregnant. So we kind of had uh, a journey with that. But um, yeah, we, we tried for a while, got pregnant with Reston. And then June um, was actually a surprise. We weren't trying um, and it just happened. But we welcomed it because I, I would have a million kids if I could. <laughs> Beautiful. So we are going to focus a little more on June's story today, but I'd love if you'd tell us a little bit about Rustin's birth, because in itself, that could be an episode. It was such an incredible birth for you. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, I think the three words that come to mind were fast, uh, like unexpected and just like, I don't know. It was just it was crazy. Like, I think um, the whole process from my water breaking to him being born was 80 minutes. Um, And the whole time I was laboring in the car, which was not ideal because I was, you know, sitting in a very uncomfortable position. Um, And we we just barely made it to the birth center with time to spare, like in 10 more minutes and he would have been born in the car. So, yeah, it was it was just really crazy my water broke and immediately my contractions were three minutes apart and then one minute and yeah so it was it was a race and the whole time we were in the car super unexpected and just came on really suddenly honestly because mm, I think we often prepare first-time mums for it's going to take a long time, stay at home as long as you can, you know, early labour can drag on, whereas yours is just from the minute. You were overdue, weren't you, when you did finally go into labour? Labor? Um, no, I was uh, 10 days early. Okay. So, yeah, but, I, yeah, exactly like you said, I feel like I prepared so much for a long labour because, you know, they tell you first baby and, you know, 
it's going to be really slow and don't get your hopes up. And so this kind of come came out of left field and I was really unprepared for the just fast pace of it. I felt very like lost in the dark and <laughs> yeah, just like I, I went out to lunch and came home with a baby. It was crazy. Crazy. <laughs> and I think that we often hear like these fast labors. Um, mine was fast, but nowhere near that quick and go, oh, you're so lucky. Like that's such a, you know, must be so easy to only have to be in labor for an hour or three. But it has some like real unique struggles, right? You almost go through a process of shock afterwards of like what just happened. Is that yeah. what happened for you? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I, I was grateful in the fact that labor was, you know, fast. And honestly, I don't remember feeling a lot of pain because I was so in my head about what was happening the whole time. Um, but yeah, I did feel a sense of shock and um, I gave birth at a birth center and they only had me stay for four hours. So even then I was like at home again with a baby, which was just so soon. And yeah, I was very uh, surprised and definitely felt in shock after the birth yeah Absolutely. and something that I feel like is not really talked about with fast birth it's just yeah you're so lucky and um I wish mine was like that but I kind of had wanted and prepared for that long labor with my husband and that bonding time and really mm. it was just a complete scramble <laughs> I know you have all these like tools ready to draw upon that it's like not we're using none of them yeah. and I think also you don't have the time to like physically and mentally integrate what is happening your body doesn't have that time to like stretch your mind doesn't have the opportunity to like wrap around it so it's just like this you've spent nine months preparing for it so it's not a shock but in a way it is really a shock yeah absolutely now you had your mum present after Rustin was born didn't you had she flown yeah. over to be with you and what was that like for you yeah that was the biggest blessing. So she had flown in and I think two or three days later, um, I had given birth. Um, and yeah, I really wanted her to be there just to support me and, um, having her, I feel like she wasn't too much help during the birth, honestly. Uh, like there was not much she could do. She was more in shock than I was, uh, but she was so helpful postpartum and she just knows me so well, knows exactly what I like in my house, where sh things should go, like how I want to eat. And so all that stress was taken off um, and I could just really focus on the baby. So that was a blessing. Oh, I love that so much. So you told us that you hadn't planned June. Had you started to have conversations about are you going to have another baby? What will that look like? Were you prepared for a long trying to conceive journey again? What was it like in between Rustin's pregnancy and when you had June? Yeah, um, I don't think we had actually really talked about if we were ready to have more kids. Um, we were just so wrapped up in, you know, Rustin's first year of life. Um, and I, we were both happy and excited that it kind of just like happened, that we didn't have that long period of trying because that was really difficult um so yeah we were both excited I mean Brendan was completely shocked <laughs> and like I said he wasn't uh always you know had an idea of kids so um yeah it was just it was a blessing in disguise but it took us it took us a minute to wrap our hands around because we weren't even in the space of considering more kids 
Mm, absolutely. And where are you living at the time? Because you are a military family. Were you moving around? Has Brendan always been close to home? Um, so his family lives in North Carolina, which is the other side of the country. Um, and we were currently in San Diego, California. So um, we were actually getting ready to move, still in California, but we're now six hours away. So that whole process was kind of happening around the same time. Um, so yeah, there was a lot to digest there. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of women describe their first birth as being like a huge learning curve because you don't know what to expect for, what to plan for. So after having experienced Rustin's birth, did it give you an, any perspective on how you wanted to navigate pregnancy, what care providers you wanted to go through? What plans did you put in place on that front? Um, so the only thing that I think we really did differently was, um, we wanted to do a home birth or I initially wanted to do a home birth, took Brendan a little bit to get on board. Um, but just because like everything that we experienced at the birth center was exactly what we could experience at home and we could take away that stress of like Mm. being in the car and driving somewhere and like like thinking that the baby would be in the car when they were born like that whole struggle because that was really the biggest um struggle in our birth and labor process so the only thing yeah that I would do differently and that we planned for was um the home birth so yeah the midwives that we had at the time did both birth center and home birth so um, if we were to go with them, we would have done the same thing, but um, we were in the process of moving anyway. Perfect. So tell us a little bit about June's pregnancy. What was it like for you? Were you feeling pretty similar to Rustin's? Um, did it feel different? Did you instantly know you were having a girl? What was that like? Yeah, um, the pregnancy in itself didn't feel too different besides the fact that when you're chasing around, you know, a a baby and a toddler, you just completely forget. I feel like it took me a long time to remember that I was pregnant. Whereas with Rustin, I was, uh, definitely like, like looking up all the things and uh, tracking the weeks and all that. So I feel like in that respect, um, it just kind of just happened. Um, but in terms of anything being different, um, I think maybe my morning sickness was a little worse, like a little more nauseous. Uh, But yeah, nothing specifically that I can remember. Um, And I definitely wanted a girl really, really bad, (laughs) really bad. But I didn't uh, really have an inkling either way until it kind of got later on before we found out um, the gender. And then I was girl, team girl all the way. So. Yeah, it's kind of nice, isn't it? I remember with when Taj, when I was pregnant with Taj, I knew I was like, I'm 21 weeks, three days, and four minutes pregnant. Like I was just so hyper aware of it all the time, which is lovely, but it's also kind of draining. And I kind of really enjoyed being able to just like relax into it and the normalcy of it. Second time around, I was like, yeah, I'm pregnant, no big deal. Like it is, it's huge, but it just it doesn't yeah. it take up so much mind space, right? Because you can't. You're busy. You're, you know, focusing on this toddler all the time and all their needs and getting them snacks and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it was definitely not like a centering 
thought in my day as much as it was with the first one. Like it's all you think about. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah, it was it was nice in that respect. Absolutely. So as we've alluded to, you your little girl June did pass away. And I want, if you're happy to, for you to take us through the moment that you found out, how that came about. Um, because obviously this is something that we all know happens and can happen, but no one ever prepares for it to be their reality. Um, so how did you find out that something was wrong? Did you know immediately or was it something you were told? Tell yeah, us about it. So, um, I had noticed a little bit of like discolored discharge. I would say it was like the Saturday, um, July, I think 17th. I had noticed a little bit of discharge and I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh, it's just like, uh, I don't know, different color. That should be fine. And um, I waited until the next day and I noticed it again. Um, and so I contacted my my midwife and she didn't seem too worried about it at all. Uh, but then I told her that I hadn't been feeling any kicks. Um, and at that point I was 23 weeks. So she thought that was a little strange and a little late. So she just wanted to do a checkup. Um, and so she called me on Monday, she came to the house and, um, I could feel, I could sense that she felt like something was off, like, she just wasn't her usual self. She seemed very uh, detached and a little um, distant from the situation, which was very unlike her. Um, so, yeah, she came over. She um, just talked to me for a bit. We did the um, Doppler. Is that what I think that's what it's called? Yeah. yeah. To check the heartbeat. Um, and I think we tried for about maybe like 40 minutes um, and finally she was like, is there any other places you want to try? Like, I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. And at that moment I was like, kind of in shock. I was like, this is definitely not a reality that I had ever pictured. And it's, it's almost like an out of body experience. Like you're, you're in your body, obviously going through it, but you're just not there. Like you're vacant. Um, and so but it it was a weird feeling too, because at the same time, I wasn't letting myself believe it because I didn't want to give up that hope. Like, well, maybe there's just like something wrong with her Doppler or whatever. So um, eventually she just was like, I think you should just go to the hospital, just check peace of mind, go get an ultrasound um, and we'll see what happens. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, do you want me to do that tomorrow? And she was like, no, like right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay so this is like a little bit more immediate again than I'm thinking like it it takes it takes you a second to wrap your head around you know 23 weeks completely normal pregnancy now all of a sudden something really unexpected happens with really like no indication of anything being wrong like besides the discharge I hadn't sensed anything um so yeah, then I ended up going to the hospital. Um, and during that that kind of phase between being at home and realizing that this is a lot more immediate and driving myself to the hospital because my husband had Rustin at the time. It was at night. He had to do bed, bath, and put him down. So I had to drive myself. Um, there was, like I said, we had just moved to the area. There was nobody that we knew. We didn't have family. We didn't have like friends that were really like 
you know, that um, close that I would feel comfortable being like, hey, I'm having a problem with my pregnancy. I need you to drive me to the hospital. So it was all on my own, um, which in in and of itself was very scary. Um, And I just remember, yeah, getting in the car, driving to the hospital uh, the whole time. I'm just like in a haze. Uh, I think I missed every turn that I could possibly have missed getting to the hospital. Um, And it's a very easy drive. But yeah, my mind was just elsewhere. And I... uh, the funny thing, I had to stop to get gas, of course, because oh. my car was empty. So then I'm just like thinking and waiting. And then I eventually called my midwife because there was there's two options for hospitals um, here. And she she recommended I go to the one further away because that has better um, midwifery care. And since I wanted a, a home birth, it just felt right. And with, you know, our intentions and values and whatnot. Um, but... I kind of was like, I feel like something isn't right here. Like I just keep coming back to this thought. So I'm going to choose the one that's closer just, you know, in case. So we switched um, hospitals and I remember the moment I was on the phone with her and I'm like, I need to know right now, like, do I need to be concerned about this? Because like, I've, I've taken in all, you know, the emotions and thought about everything and it just I just need you to give me a straight answer because I could tell she didn't want to make any call she didn't want to say anything it was it was very much uncomfortable like especially to tell somebody that you think their baby has died or you know something's wrong and you're not sure what it is so I remember in that moment she said I need you to stay open to whatever's happening like whatever's coming you just need to be open and I thought okay so this is this is what I think it is this is not good this is not what I envision and in that moment um I just remember telling myself like I'm gonna stay present I'm gonna feel everything and I'm gonna be intentional because that is something I can control and I can choose that I can't choose anything else that's going to happen I don't know what's going to happen but I'm choosing to be you know, present in this moment because that's all I have. So yeah, that's kind of <laughs> where it all started, I guess. So Keely, I'm keen to hear um, what happens next, but something that's come to mind for me, you mentioned at the start around your experience of grief before, but your approach here about intentionality and presence, was that something that has been a lifelong uh, practice of yours that you were able to draw on? Or do you think that was something that was brought to you at that time? I'm just curious about your, nobody can prepare for something like this, but obviously your ability to draw on that intentionality has helped you to frame what came next in this story. Yeah, no, I absolutely think um, I've definitely, you know, uh, valued that in my life and used it a lot. But in that moment, I just, it was just such an innate feeling. Like it wasn't something that like I had to really think about and like choose it like I don't know, like put thought into it. It just, it just, it just came to me as what had to happen. Like it was either choose this or it was like push everything away and feel more pain. Like that, that was the the choice that really came to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely, I've been prepared in my life, I think 
for um, that situation, but it wasn't something, yeah, that I really put too much thought in. I just, after getting that response from my, my midwife, I knew like I had to make the choice before I got any decision or else it was going to be extremely hard to get back into a headspace like that after, you know, yeah. finding out whatever was going to happen. Yeah. Did she call ahead to the hospital or do you have to turn up at the hospital and explain that you need care? I, I mean, I'm not across the American system at all. So I'm just curious about what you faced as you arrived at the hospital. And and obviously the midwife was not able to go with you. Was that because of admitting rights or just because of that was beyond the care that was bridged between you? Um, I can't remember exactly. I think... Um, the reason why she had, uh, you know, told me to go to the other hospital was because she had more um, rights there as like, you know, a care provider. So the one I didn't end up going to that was closer to my house, she couldn't really do much. So she wasn't sure if, you know, her presence would be useful or not. Um, but she did call ahead and she told them, you know, explain the situation that I needed an ultrasound. Um, and so when I went in, um, I just told them, hi, I'm, I'm here for an ultrasound. And they just took me straight into a room. So I didn't, there wasn't a lot of explaining to do, um, which was good because again, like, I don't know what I would have said. I was completely in a haze. I was just going through the motions at that point. Um, but, and then she, my midwife, I did call her. She wanted me to call her after I got in and she asked, you know, if I wanted her to be there or not. And I said, yes, I don't have anyone else. <laughs> I would like you. And I don't, actually understand a lot of the stuff that is happening so I would like you to kind of transcribe to me and I feel comfortable with you like we've had all of our appointments together up until this point so she she was um there with me you know through everything and then it was kind of all on my own terms of how much I wanted her there and and not so um yeah so how did the ultrasound go so they took me into a room. Um, actually, at the hospital, they had a uh, birth center. So it was an attached birth center. So I got a whole room to myself, like a, a birthing suite. Um, so that was really great. And I just, I sat down on the table and um, a doctor came in. She uh, took the ultrasound. And it was interesting at first because, like, you could just tell the vibe in the room. It was, it was like you could drop a penny and hear like it echoing. Um, and it took her a good like 10 minutes. She was looking at the ultrasound and kept looking at it. And I'm looking at her looking at the ultrasound. Like, can someone tell me something like what is going on? Um, and eventually she was like, okay, I'm having a really hard time um, here. Like I don't hear a heartbeat, but your baby looks perfect. There's like absolutely nothing that I see that's um like really wrong there's a little bit of fluid um behind her head um but yeah she's like I'm gonna call in a second opinion because I can't make a decision on this and at that point I'm like really confused because I'm like okay you're telling me you don't have a heartbeat but now it seems like there's hope and so that's like you know I'm in this I don't know scenario of going back and forth like okay my midwife like seemed like something was wrong but wouldn't tell me. And now we're in the situation again. Um, so the doctor, another doctor came in and he looked at the ultrasound and they were kind of going back and forth. And eventually what he said, yeah, um, your baby doesn't have a heartbeat. I'm so sorry. 
And like hearing those words didn't feel real, honestly, because I was still kind of holding on to hope. Like, are you sure? Like, it seems like for the last, you know, 20 minutes, you haven't been sure. <laughs> like, why are you so sure now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it took me a little bit, of course, to wrap my head around it. Um, but yeah, uh, after that, I think I called my husband and we talked about it and he just started bawling. And from his perspective too, it was so different because my midwife had been talking to him kind of while I was in process. So he knew something was wrong, probably more than I did. Um, and he couldn't do anything about it. I mean, he had to just pretend that everything was okay and take care of our son and, yeah, so he just was bawling and I'm still like, I didn't really have an emotional reaction or response. I'm just like, okay, baby is like dead, I guess. Like, what what do we do now? Like, it took me a while to like kind of get to the point of, yeah, really like acknowledging that. Um, and I will say too, I think, um, I think the intentionality part really did help me like, you know, subconsciously know that this was going to happen. Like it was, it was definitely in my mind so much that it, it didn't feel, I don't know, like it didn't feel like anything was wrong. It just wasn't something that I really envisioned, you know, being my reality, but yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting point you make about your presence, your husband's emotions, and from what I can tell, the or everyone present in that room um, were probably struggling to find the balance between holding space for you, but also feeling as though they probably didn't quite know what to do. What what actually transpires in that moment to then may help you to move on to what next? Because obviously in your mind, you're thinking what next. Were you able to verbalise that? Did they have a an action plan? Were they able to sit with you? And, you know, tell me about that because that's obviously that moment where something, you know, life-changing has occurred. How do you transition through that moment with people other than your midwife who knew you? There are a number of strangers in the room with you. Yeah. I think at that moment, um, it was, it was like a survival instinct. Like emotion wasn't even like in the picture really. Like, you know, it was definitely something I was holding down. Like there were a lot of emotions, but it was just like, it felt like all business. Like, okay, um, what, what's the process? What are my choices? What are the decisions I need to make now? Um, and it wasn't really until like all that stuff had kind of been explained to me. Um, they had told me, all right, we're going to induce you. And I was like, do we have to? And they were like, yeah, your body's not going to naturally, you know, know how to, deliver your baby because it's not ready so we have to induce you and that was kind of like jarring to me because that wasn't again not something I had uh thought about and I didn't really I didn't understand that like the baby wasn't ready to let go like my body wasn't ready to let go they had to force that to happen um and so yeah they just explained that there's no other way um we have to do an induction because um like your, your health is at risk. Um, so yeah, they, they induced me. Um, they gave me like the vaginal, uh, dissolvable pills or something. Mm -hmm. And that was hands down the worst part of the entire experience. 
it felt so invasive and just like I don't know like it was just it was so forceful it felt um and so they had to do that every four hours so they did the one dose which was four hours and then they gave me a second dose and right before they gave me the second dose I knew like that she was ready she was coming I was having my birth so I was like do you really need to give me the second dose and they're like yeah we do and I'm like okay well she's coming so (laughs) it doesn't really matter to me um and yeah and then I called my husband again because the whole time I'm there alone um he's at home um and he had to call our neighbors um who we we just met I mean we're acquaintances and they um lovingly came over and stayed on the couch while Rustin was asleep the whole time he was asleep which was a blessing because I don't know what we would have done if like he was awake you know he's only 16 months at this point he's never been away from me like um yeah so that was a blessing in and of itself that he was able to just be comfortable he didn't really know what was going on I'm sure he could feel the emotion but in terms of you know his routine and stuff being disrupted um it wasn't. So that was good. Um, but yeah, I called my husband and I said, it's happening. Um, can you come now? And, um, yeah, that was really the only point that he was there was for the birth, which looking back was, you know, the most important part for me, but, um, so tough to not just be processing this news that you had never anticipated hearing but also wrapping your head around the changes to your birth plan because a death has occurred but a birth is still happening and you've imagined having a lot of choice over where that happens how it happens and suddenly you're being told that it needs to happen now it needs to happen a certain way um and I imagine that that was tough to process in itself not having control over anything here except what you came back to, which was your intentionality and your presence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really what got me through that time was knowing that I had that choice. Like there were so many things I didn't have any choice in the matter. Um, And I feel like it's very easy in that situation to, you know, you know, feel like you're a victim and this is all just happening to me and there is nothing I can do. And that choice, making that before, you know, even getting the news um, really allowed me to still feel empowered in all of my decisions. I felt so empowered and I felt like I was in control besides the induction, which, again, there was no choice in that. That just had to happen. Um, But, yeah, I felt very empowered the whole time. And I think going back to you talking about – you know, the, the logistics of the situation. I think that was another reason why I was in such survival mode because I was like, there are so many people and so many things happening right now that I can't just focus on myself, which I mean, it's not, you know, not an amazing situation to be in. Of course you want to just focus on you and your baby. You're about to give birth and a birth that you're not anticipating way earlier than you were anticipating. And with an undesirable result of giving birth to, you know, a baby that's, that's dead. So, um, yeah, there was just a lot of things going on and, and I, I felt like I just was in survival mode, but I felt empowered as well. It was an interesting dynamic, I think. 
Mm. I remember speaking to you after after you had given birth and you said to me like the birth was incredible, Brie, and that that was really something that you didn't have the opportunity to share so much that we almost skim over that when we don't have a live baby at the end of it. But the, yeah. that was its own process in itself. So I'd love if you tell us your birth story. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember um, actually messaging you, Brie, because you were the first person to congratulate me on the birth. And that to me, like when I got that message, I was just like, oh, thank you. Like I like I had a birth and I had a good birth and like it it didn't end in obviously bringing my daughter home alive and happy and, you know, all the things that come with that. But like I really felt good about my birth and to be acknowledged for the fact that that was um, occurring was just incredible. Like that was the best message I've ever received. <laughs> so oh, thank you for that. Giving me, making me all teary and giving me goosebumps because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I'm about to cry. <laughs> I'm about to just like, oh. No, <laughs> you are simultaneously traversing two rites of passage, right? Because birth is a rite of passage and death is a rite of passage and you're having to deal with them at the same time. But yeah. one does not eclipse the other. You are still being transformed physically, emotionally, spiritually by the birth of your daughter and that, and that's huge, right? Yeah. Go away. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. Because like the death came first, um, which is hard to wrap your mind around, especially as a baby. Like you're like, she hasn't even been born yet. Like that, that makes no sense. Um, but the birth, like, you know, kind of negating the fact that she's not alive. Like it was still an honoring of her coming out of me like this was her like passage into the world even though it was after she had already exited her physical body still had to come out Mm -hmm. and um yeah so that that was a huge um I don't know like it was just again I felt so empowered and I remember in the birth uh I I felt you know contractions starting and I just went into full like me mode like I just pretended it was like a home birth and I did all the things that I wanted to do I put on music I put on candles and the nurse kept coming in and out and I just pretended she wasn't there um I was like laboring in like my arms on the bed and knees on the floor position just swaying and I just felt so like in sync with life if that's I don't know a feeling that anyone else has had I just felt so rhythmic and so just natural I don't know like it it was like as if her presence was there like helping me get through it because it it if it, it, it's in your mind it doesn't feel like something you can get through like you can't think about it it's just a, something that you're experiencing in the moment it's that presence um that I was talking about just like yeah I don't know it was it was incredible and my husband came like right at the end um right as my labor was kind of picking up um and so that was great at that moment right as he came in as my labor was intensifying like we both just like felt all the emotions we were both sobbing crying like oh it's making me cry just thinking about it (laughs) but yeah it was like just such a release of like everything that had happened in like less than 24 hours but also like I like 
an ending and a beginning all at the same time. It was just, it was such a spiritual experience. Mm, and the the word release just stood out to me there because that's what you're attempting to do with your baby. And I imagine you have this feeling of wanting to keep her inside of you, keep her with you. And you have to tap into and, you know, allow your body to release. And yeah, all labours, almost all labours have that moment of release, right, of this huge emotional outburst that comes with transition. But that is so heightened for you guys. And I imagine yeah. a huge moment of connection for you and Brendan. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were saying that um, release part, I remember that like so specifically there was a moment and I could tell like within one push she was out and I like held on to that moment as much as I could in my mind. I'm like, she's on the cusp of two worlds right now. She's like in my body. She's going to be out like she's dead but it's a birth like there was so much going on and I held on to that moment so tightly um and then yeah then she came out and after that like after that moment of you know me feeling everything and her coming out the the total like vibe changed like it was it was no longer me in charge it was no longer a positive experience it felt like everybody was quiet it was very somber I was the one that kind of had to like make it an experience I wanted like I was like I want to take photos um like I'm I'm holding my baby I'm not gonna give her up um like I was kind of in charge in that way which I don't love like you know you're just given birth at that point you just kind of want to relax you don't want to think and I had I felt like I had to be in charge for it to be an experience that Mm. I wanted Mm. having been through experiences of grief in the past do you think you were able to consciously understand the their lack of ability to process what was going on even though it was yours yeah, absolutely. I I knew going into everything. I'm like they don't have the tools um that I have and they don't know how to give me what I need. So I'm going to have to do that. And I I did know that, but um you know, it's also it's also shocking when you are in that situation and you're like okay, now I actually have to do it. Like thinking about it and then doing it are two different things. Um And I remember I was talking to my husband earlier, just kind of rehashing everything. And he was like, that was the worst experience of my life. Like having to hold like our baby, like a miscarriage, you know, usually when you give birth, it's like tissue and and, and this is her body. It's like a lifeless body. Um, And yeah, I remember him just saying that that was so difficult and he's in a completely different headspace at that point because this is like very somber for him like Mm he is he is forcing really forcing trying to be in a good headspace for me um and I can tell that but yeah we're just in Mm -hmm. after that moment like I said of connection and release we just went to very different places very quickly Mm -hmm. And everybody else was in the same space that he was at. So I was working really hard to just keep myself in the the positive mindset that I wanted to be in and how I wanted to honor June and, um, yeah, moving forward with that. So, Keely, how long has it been now since June's birth? And 
one of the things that has been on my mind is there there is another person in this, your husband, and that relationship between the two of you, and you each have different experiences of what is, you know, a, a same event, but different emotional and, and psychological responses. How do you work together through that process, which I, I can only imagine is is an ongoing thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been, so this week will be six months since um, everything had happened. So yeah, it's a milestone for us for sure. Um, in terms of working through it, I I did so much of the work and so much of the grief I felt like in the hospital like I was, I was there holding her. We haven't gotten to this part of the story yet, but, um, after the birth, my husband had to go home and be with my son and relieve, you know, our neighbors because again, we didn't know them well enough to expect a lot out of them. So we felt like we had to do that. He had to be home and I had to be at the hospital. So I had like, she was born at, uh, 2am. And so I didn't leave till 9am. So I had all that time with her, just holding her, crying, like, you know, going through everything in my mind, talking to her, um, coming to terms with the situation. And he had none of that. He got to hold her for, you know, however long, a couple minutes. Um, and then that was it. That was the end of his story. Like his baby died. He didn't know what was going on he went to the hospital his baby was born and then she was gone like that was his kind of story so I had so much of the the time to process to grieve and so much of the support from everyone messaging me after the fact like I'm so sorry what can we do he had nothing like he was just completely in the dark so I would say his grief process has been a lot longer than mine um, and a lot more confusing than mine because his emotions come up randomly. Like, um, and you know, he's working full time. Uh, he's doing school right now. So that's his job. He's getting paid to <laughs> get a master's, but, um, he had three days off like between everything. And then he was thrown right back into it. Full-time job, like life family he has had no time to process um and I think now just now he's coming to a point of feeling like he can breathe again so yeah Mm -hmm. it's just it's been such different um experiences and this was his first experience with loss and he hadn't had anybody else um in his life um and you know to think about your your first experience of loss being your unborn daughter it's Mm. incredibly difficult so yeah I had a lot of tools um already from seeing my mom just go through the process of losing her partner um that was my childhood of working through that understanding that like you know he didn't have any of those tools um or any support really or any time to think about it so it's Mm -hmm. been a, a very different experience for both of us yeah yeah, it's almost like you were forced to and or chose to face the grief head on, right? You were right mm-hmm. there. You were with her. You were feeling all of the feelings. And it's such an impossibly difficult situation for him to be pulled away. You know, you have this whole other child to think about in that moment. And I'm sure that had he had the opportunity, he would have spent more of that time 
with you and it may or may not have helped his grief process. I guess you'll never know, but I can see how that would really draw out the process and put you on different tangents almost. What you described before in almost having to hold space for the hospital staff is something that I've heard over and over again um, when women have shared their stories of loss, almost having to reassure people like it's okay. It's not okay, but almost it's okay. I'm okay. I'm here. I'm going through it. We will be okay. And that's a huge, huge ask to put on a mum who's walking this journey of processing having just given birth and also this news that they never anticipated and grieving a child. So that they, that's a lot. And I guess I'm curious to know what you felt the hospital staff wanted from that situation. Did did they want you to do certain things with June? Were they trying to facilitate you bonding, you saying goodbye? What did you feel that they were trying to do in those moments? Yeah, um, I I just felt like they were very uncomfortable, very uneasy. They just didn't didn't know what to do, honestly. They were looking around at everyone else and then eventually at me to um, you know, kind of like lead the situation. Um, and when she was born, they, well, okay, backtrack before she was born, they did give me um, kind of a debrief in what was going to happen. They, um, the doctor was like, you know, she's not going to look like you expect. Um, she's going to have peeling skin and she's going to be a different color and there's going to be tissue and all the things. Um, and then she was like, do you, you want to hold her? And I said, yes, absolutely. Like, this is my baby. Of course I want to hold her. Um, and then, okay, um, do, you, does you, do you want her to stay with you? Um, so they did kind of brief me, but again, you know, it's one thing to think about and another to actually experience. So um, all those questions just came up again. Um, and they, I will say they were lovely in that they were um, very kind. And it, it's just a situation that they just didn't know how to navigate. They didn't know what the right words were. So there was no words being said, essentially, like it was just silence a lot of the time. And that was the one thing that I really wished um, could have been different is just more understanding for loss in general. Like it does happen. And while it's not comfortable, I feel like for a lot of people to really talk about or experience, um, it makes it feel so much worse when you feel like it's not normal. Mm. Um, And, and that's what it felt like, like, this is so not normal, um, that I don't even know how to help you, basically. Yeah, which, (laughs) which this is, you know, it's not super common, but it's also not unheard of. Families deal with this every single day, tragically. I think in Australia, the statistics about 2000 families per year. So it's happening, right? And we need to be training and supporting care providers to feel comfortable sitting with grief because it is part of that spectrum of birth and life and it happens. And when it does, you know, they need to feel comfort comfortable that they have the words to use, the phrases to offer. Um, and often I feel like it, it's not it's not big, it's not complex. It's really simple words it's just being there and acknowledging you know she's beautiful she's perfect you know she's lovely checking in on you it's you know it's almost in a way 
not that complicated if we can get past the discomfort. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like really what was needed at that moment was empathy, like put yourself in that situation and like, what could you think is the best possible thing to say? That's, that's it. Like, even if it's the wrong thing to say, Mm -hmm. just like something that you, um, I don't know, feel like could be of comfort, even if it's not like, it's so much better than just nothing, like no conversation, um, kind of walking on eggshells, like looking around at me, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like the, the situation. And I will say there was one nurse that was great. Um, at the end, towards the end, she offered to take pictures and she was commenting like, she's beautiful. I love her name. My grandma is named June, like has a lot of significance. You know, she was going through that, which helped me a lot. Um, but I would say probably the biggest, um, influence and the person that helped the most was the kind of pastor or religious person that came in after, um, to do a blessing. They asked if I wanted her to be blessed. And I said, yes, um, I'm on denominational. I'm not religious. I, I think of myself as spiritual, but I would like that. And, um, he, I just remember he was so good at holding space. He didn't really say anything. All he did was like, look me directly in the eye and like nod. And like, he was so present and there was nothing that he really said that was out of the ordinary, like no, um, big philosophical things. It was just that presence of being held. Like I felt so held by him just looking at me and like, that was it. And that, what that was what was missing from the medical staff was just the inability to feel or to know what it could feel like if that was them. Like it was just, yeah, that was what was lacking, I would say. I think we almost feel this need to make sense of these experiences or put a positive spin on it. But when you're in grief, that's not what you need, is it? It's just for someone to be there with you. Um, Yeah. And that sounds huge. So one thing that I hear often around birth is that you're about to meet someone entirely new and it's not your baby, it's you. This experience is quite unique. Tell me about the you that you met through this process. Yeah, wow, I love that question. Um, I feel like it's definitely not um, asked a lot, but um, something that I do remember so vividly, it sticks out to my mind. Um, after everything, um, after I had come home, I just remember like looking in the mirror and I thought to myself, like, I have never felt more beautiful. Like, and it was such a, like, it's so out of the blue, such a random thought. Like I just had given birth. Obviously like my daughter had just died. Like everything was so seemingly like horrible, honestly. Um, but I had never felt more beautiful. And I think it really was that like just presence that I had. Um, I made every moment count, like every moment that I could with her, all the decisions that I, uh, had to make, it was intentional. Like there was nothing that I really felt like happened to me. There was, I don't know. I I just like owned everything that happened and I felt really in my power and yeah, I felt so beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, it was definitely a 
moment where I just felt so strong and I felt so held in like an, an unimaginable experience that I could make the best of that yeah changed changed me as a person of course it's beautiful <laughs> it is I know and I'm, I want to stay with that direction but I also don't want to miss the end of June's birth story yes so I want to know if you can take us through what goodbye looked like because you've told us what hello looked like but then you have a very quick goodbye so what did that look like for you and I also know that you really were intentional about honoring her and bringing ritual and intention into that so what did it look like for you and what did it look like for your husband for Rustin saying goodbye to June yeah um in terms of like physically um, saying goodbye to her body at the hospital, um, this was another thing that was very uh, daunting and it was very unexpected. Like after you hold them and, you know, you're ready to go, um, they just you, – you just leave your baby. Like you just leave them in the room and that felt so wrong. Like I'm leaving, I'm getting in the car, I'm going home to my husband and my son and my daughter is – staying at the hospital like with nobody it's just like that was very difficult um and it was yeah and it was also unexpected because my husband thought he had more time like he didn't say bye when he left and he came home um and when I came out and said yeah um like we leave her here I guess like that's it he was like what like I didn't say bye I have had no closure at all like it Mm -hmm. just everything was so fast and so I don't know like so just jarring really um and so we went home we kind of talked through it um and I want to say about two weeks later um we had a cremation ceremony um which that again in and of itself like we were expecting like something so much deeper so much more ritualistic than we were what we were given um we ended up having two hours to say goodbye because um, they got their times wrong but if we hadn't have had that time it would have just been you know we go in and they do I mean I don't know if you want details but they they basically just put her in a box in a cremation facility and that's it and they're like sorry for your loss and it just felt so like like dishonorable I would say Mm -hmm. like this is such a a emotionalist process so um yeah after that we we kind of just took things in our own hands we were like okay like this is the system I suppose um we're gonna have to go through the actions and and do everything you know as it needs to be done but we're gonna take that ritual and honor her in our own ways and for us that looked like talking about her um we we got a little birthday cake two days later and we we shared that um together we let Rustin blow out the candle we kind of explained like June's no longer here um of course he had no idea what was going on he was only in months he didn't understand anything but he could feel I know he could feel all the emotions and um yeah so we just we just kind of tried to take it in our own in our own hands, I suppose. So, Kelly, on that note, do you think that this is a common experience of the way that we treat death and dying as a whole, or do you feel that there was an element of 
almost trying to hurry things up and speed it up because it was such a confronting loss in the system. I'm, you know, I'm just curious about that because I think we've, as a society, we don't really honour and process death particularly well at any time. But I was curious if you felt that this may have been related partly to the fact that it is so confronting for anyone involved that they almost want to hurry up and close it so they don't have to think and sit in the discomfort and and sit in that discomfort yeah absolutely um I think too uh with children it's just so different like it's such a different discomfort people feel like you know so sorry for you so sorry for them like it's not like you know your 90 year old grandma who's come to terms with this a very long time ago it's a baby that never got to live so to speak like she lived in the womb and that was it um so yeah I definitely feel like it was uh I don't know how you're feeling but I'm feeling very uncomfortable so let's just get to it and move on um which was such a disservice because that's everything I didn't want and I think that really delays the grief process so much because you feel like everything's wrong like nothing makes sense and you just have to sit in that sorrow and that sadness which of course has its place and it it always has its place but to not be able to see the other side is is such a, a disservice and and it really inhibits growth and change and transformation so yeah I I definitely feel like it it, it's everybody's discomfort towards the topic that kind of sets the precedent for how things are handled yeah and I don't want to generalize here at all um obviously I haven't navigated this myself but I do know that in Australia we seem to have a lot more support in place for bereaved families I know we have a lot of incredible charities and individuals doing support where we have people coming to hospitals, uh, doing like hand and feet castings, doing photography sessions, putting together postpartum boxes for bereaved families. Um, We also have a a huge shortage, but we do have some cuddle cots. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept, but um, so they're cold bassinets essentially to prolong how much time you have with your baby after they're Mm. born. And I think that, like, here at least we're seeing a little bit of a change towards honouring that this is all the time that you get with their physical body and that it matters. And some families aren't going to want to or choose to extend that and really soak it up, but some are going to want to and the fact they need to have the opportunity, you know, to have that if that is what they choose and it definitely sounds like that was your preference so it's really a shame that the systems and processes really let you down yeah yeah that's incredible I mean I think all of those choices would really change the um just situation and also make you feel more comfortable for having you know the positive feelings because I feel like that was what was really lacking like I felt so guilty for, for seeing the beauty and for like, um, I don't know, just wanting to be present and intentional because it felt like the complete opposite of what was quote unquote normal. Like mm-hmm. I needed to be so sad and I needed to, you know, be inside and, and not do anything and all those things. And de- definitely there were moments of course, where, but I wanted to choose those moments. Like I wanted to know, like I'm choosing to be sad right now versus like 
you're inhibiting my happiness and my joy and my beauty towards the situation. Mm, I feel like we almost gatekeep families grieving. Like, no, 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 that's the wrong way to grieve. Or you're grieving too long or you haven't grieved long enough or public enough or you're being too public. It's like, you know, impossible to just have that process unfold how you need it to. Which, before jumping on, Kel and I were talking about, you know, what an incredible opportunity this is to educate people about what you need in those moments from your village. Now, obviously you were isolated from your village and that added a whole new layer to your grieving. But was there anything in the days and weeks that followed, even as recently as now, where people were able to support you through words or physical support that made a difference? Or alternatively, what was it that you needed but didn't get during those earlier days? Yeah, I think the um, the biggest thing that comes to mind um, was just having people or, you know, um, situa- uh, I don't know, situations in place that allowed for everyday things to still happen, like get groceries. And because I, I remember um, we didn't have any groceries at all. And I, I just called a friend or somebody who I had, you know, just gotten to know and was like I really need you to get groceries can you do this for me I'll send you the money here's the list I cannot go out right now um so just I feel like those things just making sure that they're you know their their pantry is stocked same thing with postpartum like going through a normal birth or whatever situation like it's the same just caregiving acts that I would really um recommend and then the next biggest thing I would say for us personally, like we didn't have many family um, members around, but when we did get the support, when his parents did fly in and my friend flew in, we realized that we really didn't want it. We were almost like, actually, like we want to process this on our own terms because now we've added a whole layer of dealing with everyone else's emotions about it and we're not ready for that at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that was a big thing for us. We were kind of like, okay, um, we have to get through it now. Like, they're here, but we would definitely do that differently if we could. Just knowing that you have people is one thing, but then when they're actually there, being able to say, you know what, I don't need you right now. Like, I need I need to be by myself with my immediate family because we did notice a big difference. Like, in the, the days that followed, we were processing together. We were connected. We felt like we were going in the right direction. And then we threw in other people and we just got discombobulated. Like my husband and I were not connected anymore. We were on our own grief journeys. We were both um, just like dysregulated. Like it just was whole a whole new layer of unnecessary um, things to deal with I think mm, it's it's so interesting because they they unintentionally brought their own grief into your home and into your mm. space instead yeah. of helping you to process your own it's it's a really interesting insight and I can see how that um, has impacted you mentioned earlier that you and your husband were had slightly different grief journeys do you feel like you've been able to Um, now get that rhythm and alignment because you also have another beautiful child that you're you're bringing up and wanting them to experience the joy and the magic in the world and you know one of my other questions is how do you talk about the choice around expanding your family again is that Mm. something that you are ready to talk about 
Yeah. Um, just real quickly going back, I just wanted to mention, um, another thing with, uh, what we need or what we needed. One thing I want to kind of highlight was just conversation about it. Like there were so many people in our lives who, um, were unsure again about what to say. And so just pretended it didn't happen. And in our minds, like, we're like, how can anybody be doing anything normal right now when our baby just died? Like, and nobody's saying anything about it, especially Mm -hmm. our family. Like, our family, his parents, I feel like, didn't really know what to say or or have the words. And so we just carried on with life as normal and it was not normal. Um, So that was, that's another thing I would just mention, just being open to having Mm -hmm. the conversation and holding the space for people is is so important um but yeah in terms of uh having more kids uh I have been very vocal about me being ready and he has been very vocal about how he's not Mm -hmm. so um I'm not sure exactly when the conversation came up or what the time was I can't really remember but I just remember saying like how are you handling this because I feel like I've gotten to a point of processing that I'm ready to try again. And um, our situation right now is just me waiting and kind of checking in every now and again, like, how are you going? What's what's going through your mind? And him saying, like, I'm getting there, but not yet. And keeping the line of communication open. Um, and it is very challenging because, again, it feels like I, I don't want to push him when he's not ready, but I'm also like, I don't want to wait as well, like, cause I am ready and it's, it's just this weird dynamic, I, I suppose. And something that anyone who goes through loss will have to deal with. And it's different person to person. I think it has a lot of, um, parallels to do with, again, like the way we grieved and how we processed his was a lot slower and, um, he didn't really have the support and mine was opposite. So I, I got there quicker. Um, Mm, and I yeah. feel like there's so many different layers to this, like how men process emotions and are allowed to process emotions, having that time with June, the time to be home with you, um, you know, the support. I feel like so often uh, we go, you know, how are you to the mom? Like this has been so tough for you, but we completely forget that there's another parent who is going through all these same feelings and the same processing. So I can imagine how it would take longer. And I guess I was also thinking rightly or wrongly that maybe for you you feel like you've done a lot of that grieving and having another baby is that next step in the healing you know you are never going to be completely done that journey of course but it's like the next step for you whereas maybe Brendan's feeling like he needs to get further along in that journey before he's open to that possibility and obviously there's no right or wrong but you know it's just a difference in the way we think about yeah moving forward and I can imagine that it's an incredibly challenging decision for you to make together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, another aspect too was um, with everything that happened with June, like I had that physical experience, like we were talking about um, a little bit, you know, of a messenger, like the postpartum Mm -hmm. journey. I had that like my body was grieving, my body was releasing, like I went through that process after the fact that he didn't and so I've con- I've kind of gone on this journey with my body in terms of like how is it feeling like 
am I in a good space? And, and I've let that kind of guide me a little bit as well as my mental state, of course. But yeah, the guys just don't have any of that. They don't have the physical experience. They don't, they don't go through that situation. So I think that is another layer to the conversation as well as, you know, sidebar, just personality. Like I want more kids and I've always wanted kids and he hasn't been. So this is like kind of Mm -hmm. just added another, yeah, another layer to it, like you said. Yeah, and I remember having this conversation with you. It was something I shared on our stories about how you feel about your postpartum body and you brought up the fact and awfully it's something I'd never even considered, the fact that your body is still going through the motions of postpartum even if you don't have a baby there with you and how in some ways that is easier, in many ways it is harder, but it's just so different. And we often frame postpartum bodies through the light of, but look what your body did, you know, look at this baby, That that's why yeah. your body looks that way. And, you know, it's remarkable that you said you felt so beautiful in that moment in your postpartum body because, you know, so often we don't even validate that and acknowledge that there are mums with a postpartum body without their baby here with them as well. Yeah, and that was really difficult as well because, again, it's something you don't consider. It's like things that you don't think will happen and then the things that you don't realize are follow-on events. Like a postpartum body is a follow-on event to a birth and to a baby, like it ending in a baby. And, yeah, I did feel beautiful, again, like you said, like coming home, but once my milk came in and I realized, like, I have no baby to feed. What am I supposed to do with this milk? Like, and, and just going through that, like, um, emotion of like, my body is physically wanting to give to my daughter that is no longer here. And having to deal with that every day was so challenging. Like waking up, I'm in, I'm engorged. I can't really get rid of the milk because then it's just going to come back. And like, I want this to be done as quickly as possible but also like I don't want it to be because this is the last physical reminder I have of her like just those the emotions of both sides of everything yeah it was a it was a lot and definitely one of like the few things that um I really didn't consider at all was how I was going to handle the physical effects and and of course it's different with loss but um after 20 weeks you know they consider it uh you know, uh, like a person that would die if they were older on in, in their life. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it was so, it was so challenging, the postpartum period and, and realizing that my body isn't where my mind is at, I suppose. Absolutely. I think it's been really clear to everyone listening what a profound experience this was for you. And of course, And we talk about matrescence in terms of how it changes our values and our goals and our priorities and what we want to do for a career. And something that we don't discuss nearly often enough is what matrescence looks like when you don't have your baby here with you. So I guess I'm curious to hear about not just the personal changes, but I know that this also changed what you wanted to do in terms of careers and supporting families in this area moving forward. So where has June's birth led you and what are you currently exploring in terms of work? Yeah, um, so I'm I'm looking into the end-of-life doula um, field. It's interesting. 
it's so interesting to me the way that this came about because I had listened to a podcast about um, end of life doula work a week before everything had happened with June. And I remember listening to that podcast and just thinking, wow, this is very interesting. Like I've never heard about, you know, having a doula through death essentially. Um, and, and yeah, it was just another step in the, in the whole journey of looking back, like feeling like I was being so prepared for what was coming and then looking, you know, forward, um, and realizing that there is a big gap between uh, like life and death. Like there is such a big gap in support in that situation and going through that experience. Um, I just felt like I had the tools even, you know, going through it. Um, and I want to be able to offer that to other people because the biggest thing is I just don't want death to be viewed as something so somber, like Mm. just like birth and marriage are these celebrations and, and there's rituals that go along with it. So is death. Like it's, that's just what life is. It's impermanent. It is always changing. It's in flux. And, um, yeah, just to be seeing it as the end of life without that honoring or that celebration, I just feel is is such a disservice. And and honestly, it's a disservice to life because that that's going to happen no matter what. So, um, yeah, to be in that situation to kind of help people through that and see the beauty and and even if there's no beauty, to see if you just feel sadness and grief to honor that and know that that is normal um yeah the big the big thing about it is just holding space and really having a conversation to know that you know it's not this big scary like fearful thing it's normal and we all go through it so Mm. I'm I am super excited to think that you have the opportunity to offer potentially what you didn't weren't able to receive fully in those moments. And uh, I can imagine that will be a, a, a part of a fulfillment for you. Um, and it's like you say, the journey of your life and the steps along the way, you probably don't realize until you look in the rearview mirror just how prepared you were in, in you know, really tough ways um, and your desire to pay that forward to others. So, I'm very, um, yeah, I'm super keen to hear how where that goes for you um, as part of your your journey. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited too. Um, I don't know where it will take me right now. It's just, um, you know, something that I feel like I have to offer and mm-hmm. it's not something that I think is very common to offer. So I really want to value that and um, give that to people who are in need of it because yeah, it's definitely um, not an easy situation for anyone and, and even a little bit of support like that pastor was in that scenario for me, just sitting there and holding space and, and looking me in the eyes like that meant everything. That was the difference, like just feeling that one to one human connection, like we are all going through this mm. every day. It's, mm. you know, there's change and flux and and all the things. So yeah, just being able to offer that connection and and to to lay down my own um, uncomfortable like feelings towards situations and just open it up for what other people are feeling. I think is is exciting and hopefully beneficial to someone. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And honestly, just sharing your story today so honestly already starts that process. It starts the conversation about what this looks like, what it feels like and what we can do better because inevitably we are going to encounter loss and death in different forms throughout our life. We can't hide from it. And getting to hear from someone who has walked that path and can really beautifully articulate the highs and the lows and what was unexpected is such a privilege. And wherever you end up, whatever work you end up doing, I know that you're going to bring this experience into that and it's going to make you incredible. So if you do decide to go down that path, we will absolutely share your work with our community because I know that there's going to be a lot of people who want to hear more from you and um, hear about what that involves because it's so foreign to us to really honour and celebrate and ritualise death. Um, But I think a lot of families really need that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. And um, I hope that I was able to, you know, provide a little more insight into my journey. And I just want to say, like, I know that it's, I've had the tools to um, navigate this situation um, from, you know, past experiences and what I've learned along the way in life. But um, I know a lot of people don't. So I don't want anyone to compare their loss and think, like, oh, I wish that I had that perspective you know, going through my scenario because you only have what you have. You use the best tools you have in the moment. Um, and there is no, like, I'm not in a higher value standpoint or whatever, because I see a different side of it. So I just want people to know that, like not to compare, you know, their lost journey or their situation to mine, because it's, it's just so individual and everything is okay and normal and perfect as it is. Mm. beautifully said that is beautifully said and we often feel so clumsy in these conversations and I really got from you that it's kind of okay to be clumsy as long as you're authentic and that that's uh you know that's been a really big takeaway from me yeah absolutely I think if if you could leave it with one thing just um just be curious and be authentic like if you are feeling if you are you know, watching someone else go through a grief process, like don't ignore it. Just like ask questions or, or try to do something that you think will help, but just ignoring the situation or trying not to think about it is, is only a disservice to everyone involved. And, and also you, when you go through that, because people will do the same thing. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Killy. It's been such a privilege to be the facilitators of you getting to share June's life and birth and death. It's been absolutely our privilege. Yes. Thank you, Killy. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was an honour. <laughs> Pleasure. So we're going to stop the recording now, but we won't just hang up on you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you freezing in there yet? Thanks for joining us yes, for today's conversation. Now, if you want to hear more like this, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to know more about anything we talked about or you heard on the podcast today, check out our website, www.birthofamother.com.au. You can find us on Instagram at matrescence.podcast or send us an email to info at birthofamother.com.au. If you think others could benefit from this podcast, take a screenshot of you listening to this episode to post on your social media and tag us. Alternatively, consider leaving a review with your favourite things about the Matrescence podcast. 
This really helps us to increase our visibility and ensure we are reaching as many women as possible. As always, thank you for spending your time with us. We hope you will tune in again.